Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by Tom Meredith. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, dude. Uh, so for people who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, I think it's really hard to figure out where to put myself, <laughs> actually. Uh, I think... Um, I've, I've landed on the term design technologist. Uh, it uh, allows me to talk about both sides of what I do, which is uh, the creative side as well as the analytical side. Uh, but uh, in a nutshell, I'm CTO at Clay, K-L-E-Y, uh, here in Los Angeles. And uh, I oversee a team of, of developers uh, to execute on designs that uh, the rest of our team does. Um, but I have a strong history in design and uh, and a design practice before I got into uh, development. Uh, so it is quite an interesting conversation piece when I do an, introduce a design technologist to them. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the things that I really like about um, uh, what I wanted from this conversation and, and like about you is that you come from, I think, more of the design uh, path into technology. And I think that's also where you you know because you you are uh, faculty at Art Center, you also tend to work with a lot of designers, teaching them React and other uh, you know development um, you know skills and and tools. Uh, and I think that's really cool. I think for me too, um, it's been a long time, but I feel like I almost came to technology from the design side as well. I don't know if we ever. No. talked about this but uh yeah i did a graphic design program at parsons and in, oh. in new york uh, a long time ago that even before i you know got um you know my first job as a junior dev and and those things um and so i came way like much more from the web design html and css to front end and then eventually to to back end systems and and more management i came from that direction in some ways uh, as as well. Um, and I do think that a lot of our listeners are that way um, as well. They, they, they are often designers who get a little bit more interested in HTML and CSS, and then they start uh, experimenting with JavaScript and, and wind up deeper into the, to the stack. So I think you provide a, a very, um, a very, very good perspective on what it's like to have a, a career that way that eventually culminates in being in charge of very large technology projects, being a CTO, a partner of a, of a firm like yours. So did you, at what point did you recognize that you were really heading in that, that direction, being more towards like, you know, what would eventually become like a CTO role? Yeah, it's actually interesting. I think that I came to where I am in a very non-linear fashion. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I, I started programming in junior high and uh, had an intro, you know, you have the, the typing classes <laughs> to teach you how to uh, type 60 words a minute. Um, and then there also, we had a computer lab where we learned HTML tables and mm -hmm. how to uh, slice up something in, you know, in Photoshop and how to make animated GIFs and, uh, that stuff just fascinated me in junior high, um, and I 
<laughs> I had a neighbor across the street who had an AOL account, uh, and it was just him and his mom. Uh, so they had five users, but they were only two. So they allowed me to have one of the user accounts, and and I didn't want to bother them by using up their account because you couldn't be on at the same time. That's right. So, yeah. So I would go on at like eleven p.m. to like three a.m. and scour the web for interesting. Uh, tidbits of you know pushing the envelope, and I remember I actually found this website called Glass Dog, uh, probably not even around anymore. But they had a lot of tutorials um, mm. that uh, were probably much like Code Academy or something nowadays, you know. Um, and it was just taking me back, yeah, right about like Photoshop tutorials. I remember there was um, there was this guy Fong P H O N G. He eventually wound up doing music videos for Eminem. I remember he had like some really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah totally and i think that um at, at that time too i think i remember somebody animating something with javascript using like math right like creating using like radius and uh calculating the uh, a circle movement and i was just fascinated by the fact that i loved math and you know the analytical side of my brain got really passionate but then it was also this creative avenue because you're animating something visually and um, I was fascinated by the math and the execution and just the thinking behind that. But um, so I was really heavy on the front end side of things. But then I, um, I ended up moving to after after I had a degree in graphic design at Art Center, um, I, I moved to uh, to the brewery downtown in, in L.A., which is uh, <laughs> for those who don't know about it on this podcast. Uh, it's a uh, kind of hippie art culture um Used to be a, a a Paps Blue Ribbon Brewery that uh, this family or this this uh, group created uh, artist lofts, and I guess the past was that you had to have a portfolio to actually move in and, and and to live there, and it was very inexpensive. I think we were my roommate and I were paying like uh, less than a dollar a square foot. We had like an eighteen hundred wow. square foot loft, and we were paying like twelve hundred dollars a month. Yeah, um, I had no yeah I had no idea you lived in the brewery, and and you know for people who live outside Los Angeles or maybe, you know, I think a ton of people who live in LA would, wouldn't really know about this place. But I remember, you know, for the longest time, I always wanted to live in the brewery because it was just full of the coolest, most interesting artists. Um, in fact, a big part of the brewery is, is having their own art walk where a lot yeah. of the people who live there open up their lofts um, one, you know, once or twice a year and they turn into effectively these art galleries of, of you know, kind of their live work lofts and just, yeah, super, super cool stuff. Um, uh, yeah, sorry, continue. Yeah, but uh, I think that the takeaway from that was that my roommate was ex-Earthlink um, full stack developer. And um, he, he taught me how to debug in PHP, which, you know, I think mm -hmm. that I was self-taught. I didn't have, you know, back then there weren't any of these, uh, you know, groups that teach you how to do Ruby in six weeks or something, you know, and back then it was, I would go, <laughs> I would go to Borders or Barnes and Noble, remember Borders? Uh, and I would just like go to the computer section and pick up books and just, I mean, cause they were so expensive. I didn't have any money back then. So like mm -hmm. buying a $50 book that was going to be out, out of uh, date <laughs> in, yeah. in a month, you know, it's so great to have the web now, which is like, we don't worry about these books, but books were great back then. And, um, and the web's always about itself too. So I was teaching myself all of these things, but I think I kept hitting walls because I didn't know what was going on under the hood. 
And he taught me how to debug and how to error log and how to investigate these things. And it blew my mind. And once I saw what an object looked like or what a, uh, how, how to echo a, a variable, um, it, it just opened up the ability for me to understand how to, um, to investigate issues, to fix issues. And I just pushed up so far. So, um, so Jim, if you're out there listening, uh, thank you so much for all that knowledge. Uh, so he yeah, was a great roommate. someone like that yeah. is so, so important. Oh, and I think, you know, it's really great, too. I think, uh, you know, um, I'm going to be participating in the mentorship program at JSLA. Uh, and I think having just somebody to ask questions to who has been there and done that, you know, is mm-hmm. is extremely valuable. And so so anyway, so I, I, I had that those chops and then I ended up working at this uh, studio called Looking. Um, my uh, my boss was the department chair of graphic design when they had a, a Swiss location. Um and you know he designed the Acura logo with the group uh, when he was uh, in New York, and uh, he had uh, just a really great lineage of typography um, training and all of that. And and at that time, graduating from a design school and having all these designer friends, everybody wanted a portfolio website. I think you know back then we didn't have like Cargo Collective now, which, which one of yeah. my, uh, my 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 good friends uh, is uh, an engineer there, and. Uh, we didn't have Squarespace. We didn't have Wix. We didn't have these, uh, you know, Shopify wasn't even out oh, yet. Oh, but you had GeoCities. We had GeoCities, yeah. Uh, but what's <laughs> it? A- Angel Fire. <laughs> Angel uh, Fire. <laughs> uh, we had FTP, right? Uh, yep. We had we mm-hmm. had Macromedia Dreamweaver. And, That's right. And, uh, you know, before it was even Adobe. But um, Microsoft front page. Oh, my gosh. That was, yeah, don't even get me started on that. Uh, so, yeah, I th- actually, I built my I built my first website on Microsoft front page. I have to actually mention um, back in 1998. So, mm-hmm. but uh, so I think, you know, at that time, everybody wanted portfolios. And I had a lot of designers who had a lot of ambitious designs that they wanted realized. Mm-hmm. And they had nobody to go to. Um, I mean, I, we didn't have uh, Upwork back then either. Um, you know, it's like, how do you find a, a developer that you believe in and trust um, and can actually achieve what you're looking for? And, you know, I had actually worked with some developers um, while I was working at looking uh, to work on some projects for like the downtown central library. And I just always got frustrated, even though you hired these developers who were supposed to be uh, executing your dreams and, you know, whatever designs you created, they would get things 80% of the way and call it done. And there was a lot of like, Oh, that's not possible. Or we can't get that. That's, you know, you can't do a custom typography or whatever. Right. So mm-hmm. I was always trying to figure out how to solve problems and I was sending developers code <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> this is not my job, but um, I will bridge the gap for you, you know? And, mm-hmm. and through that, I just became more proficient in this and I wanted to do more of it. And I would say yes to a project for a friend and and they would have all these requirements, like we don't want any widows at the end of our paragraphs. We don't want any words by themselves at the very end. How do we fix this? So I has, was constantly trying to solve typographic issues or or the limitations of having a lack of control like you would have in print, because I came from a huge print background. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, know, you could really fine tune all of these um, aspects of your design and it stays put. Right. You don't have to worry. <laughs> you don't have to worry about, you know, the uh, paper, the paper yeah. doesn't get resized once exactly. the, the person's holding it. Yeah. So, you know, it, and, and you know, that was even before responsive where you still had a little bit more control. But still, I mean, um, CSS resets, I don't even think were even common back then. So, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, 
it, it's interesting to also think is that like we were back then, right? We were working with Internet Explorer 5.5. Um, and and it was not, not even a dreaded six. Yeah, it wasn't even it wasn't a forgiving environment. And I mean, that was basically you had you had uh, Fire, Firefox or Mozilla, uh, Netscape. Uh, mm -hmm. And so you had to worry about those things. But um, but more than anything, you weren't worried about all these screen sizes. So you but everyone wanted to design this like perfect little window. And they wanted they didn't want the page to scroll. There was the, the anti scrolling, um, mm -hmm. you know, phenomena that happened. So I was trying to control all these things with JavaScript and, and CSS. And and uh, I was uh, successful in attempting and trying to achieve all of these things with like back then we used before we had font face before you could use any font you wanted and even pay a license to do it. Um, we had to either make the fonts in in pictures. <laughs> so oh, yeah. mm -hmm. so we had to take, you know, cut cut something out or you could use a, um, a GD image library with PHP uh, on the server and load the, the TTF on the server and, and actually create a dynamic image. Um, but it wasn't SEO friendly. But then there's Kufon, which is like uh, and Cipher and Flash replacement and and all of these yeah. things that like um, we're trying to get uh, a finished product that, to be honest, today is like just status quo. But back then, you had to bend over backwards to like make something extremely similar to what somebody designed in Photoshop, or uh, which is you know, what what all we had back then to design websites in. And um, so I was trying to always um, uh, say yes to uh, to a, a designer who. Um, so I was collaborating with a lot of designers and, and they had these ambitious goals, you know, let's make it exactly like this. And, and I wanted to get it to hundred percent. I didn't want it to get it to 80% and say, that's yeah. not possible. My, my, my thinking was always how, how, how can this be possible? How do mm -hmm. we achieve this? How do we make this, but also how do we make it flexible? How do we make it easy for the, um, the website maintainer to not have to open up Photoshop and create a new image and all of these things. And, and I think a lot of my, um, struggle and my growth came from maybe accepting someone else's project and looking at how bad it was built and saying, I never want to build a project like that. Mm -hmm. Or um, how about we create a content management system that could actually solve this problem? And um, I think I actually got pulled into WordPress um, around 2004. I had a client who told me to use the CMS that I'd never heard of. And I really heavily got into that world, um, which we still are um, a big WordPress shop just because of um, our team's uh, experience and such. A lot more headless stuff and a lot more using, you know, React and Vue on on these projects. But but back then it was just PHP. It was static. It was not responsive. Um, and I was just blown away by how out of the box you got so much. Um, and I have to say that I, I contribute a lot of that uh, that growth and, and all of that was through a lot of that stuff. And I would speak at WordCamp in Los Angeles and uh, multiple times. And my team contributes to uh, the roots.io project and um, and has international, like we have a big team in Buenos Aires and and they have the, uh, Word, the WordPress meetup in Buenos Aires, which is how I met my team down there. So I'm sorry, you were going to say something? No, I was just going to say, um, you know, stepping back, you know, before the, the WordPress, there's some things that, that you were talking about that I really liked. And so I think I think there might be a temptation for somebody listening to this to think that there isn't a lot of overlap or connections, you know, when we're when we're talking about these older technologies or these older limitations um, and that maybe there isn't there isn't really something that can be learned 
from that or there there isn't an underlying skill. But I think what you you were talking about is that it can be no matter no matter when or the tools, you know, which tools that you're you're working with. So so today we've got responsive web design and we've got font face and we don't have the same limitations that we we had then. But that's not to say that we don't have limitations now. It's not that it's not that you're ever going to work with an ambitious designer today and they're not going to want to push the envelope. I don't I, I <laughs> oh, find right. it very hard to believe that that there would be a designer or a product manager that you would work with today who would be like, oh, cool. OK, yeah, no, we've got we'll just take everything that's, you know, status quo today that we you know, that that makes sense for, you know, whatever last year. And we'll just we'll just work with with all that stuff that's easy. You know, that's good enough. Like, I don't I don't really oh, think totally. people are, are going to stop pushing, pushing the envelope. And so I think that willingness that, that you didn't find in those other developers, you know, that's something that's really important for growth. I think the developers that you got frustrated with didn't really have any interest in in pushing beyond the limitations because that was harder. It was more time consuming. And well, yeah. Well, I also think that uh, what I learned, and I think that a lot of the policy is that a developer is a developer, right? A web developer, oh, you're a web developer, great. Can you do this? They might not be able to. They might say yes to it, and they might want to go attempt it. But you also have backend developers who love databases and ORMs and um, mm -hmm. you know that type of uh, system architecture, which is completely different than a front-end developer. And I think that we also now have this new hybrid developer who is a front-end developer who also does React, you know, and it's not it's not the uh, necessarily the the uh, aesthetic portion of front-end that, you know, is usually that layer of, you know, fine-tuning, fine-tuning pixels and borders and padding and, you know, the uh, the box model, but more uh, on the side of logic that's kind of back-end and kind of front-end at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think back then, I didn't know the difference. And I think that um, not knowing that you're, you're hiring the wrong team sometimes, right? Mm. You, you, you hired the wrong, not, not that you hired the wrong person, but maybe you, you know, you thought this person was a silver bullet for the whole project, but there might've needed to be another person, um, on the team who was a front end specialist or, or somebody who actually was paying attention to those things, who actually had a designer's eye too, because they understood that this, is not Helvetica. This is actually Times Roman, you know, um, and they can see it. They, they they don't have to inspect it. They just know inherently. So I think that there's um, there there's that aspect of also making sure that you're working with the right person to do the job. You know, um, you, you know, somebody who you hire to work on the foundation of your house is maybe not this, the best person to also do you know, um, the, the painting of your house or something, right? So they, you might want to hire two people for that. And I think that a lot of times we get these these contracts or these uh, RFPs and it's like asking for a unicorn team that does everything. And I just wonder who actually has all of those skills in one house, you know? Um, yeah. But but I think that's that's important to know as well as also on that point, you don't need to be everything. You don't need to be uh, a full stack, everything, um, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. Um, right. Somehow I fell into that. Like I do full stack. I love, I love my SQL queries <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, because I have, I have 
20 years experience doing that stuff. And I kind of uh, geek out at um, creating a very execu- you know, well-executed um, join, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, but at the same time, I also love doing front end. And, but on that, on the point you mentioned about um, pushing the envelope, I think, you know, uh, there's a, on Quora or Reddit, people talk about, oh, well, with these square spaces and where the, with these Wix and these, these platforms, uh, will will developers go away? And I feel like no, they're not going to go away. Um, they're actually the ones creating those environments and those that <laughs> in infrastructure, and um, and they're not also um, creating them or building out themselves out of work. You know, I think that there's always going to be a need for these um, uh, for, for for these these minds, and I think the bar just keeps raising. And I think you know, even with like. Uh, tailwind and bootstrap and and these these boilerplate frameworks that are you know material UI uh, and then even like you know oh I can just go buy a a front end you know template um, that's mm-hmm. in Angular or React or you know all these UI which are great to, to raise the bar um, you still need people to push that envelope even further and who knows how to execute something that's not within the box. And um, and and also can solve a problem and fix issues that are outside of that box, too. So that's important. Yeah, that's I think, you know, it's in terms of looking forward and, and what's going to be in demand and what's not. I mean, you, you, kind of what you mentioned uh, made me laugh a little bit because I, I remember when React started to get super big. Um, people would ask the question like do i actually need to learn javascript or can i you know just <laughs> learn react and it's like what do you think react <laughs> is written in yeah. um but uh the the like like it's interesting like it, it happens at kind of all levels of the stack right a lot of uh sysadmins became less required when you wound up with platforms like heroku and mm-hmm. app engine um, a lot of backend developers became less required as people started using things like Firebase. Um, and then, yeah, you've got entire things like like Squarespace and Wix, like not even really needing anybody to, you know, design the HTML and the CSS or like host it anywhere. But those tend to wind up being, you know, good solutions for I don't know. Simple problems. To, yeah, sixty <laughs> to seventy percent of the problems. Like most people don't have, you know, really hard problems. Or if they do, not everything that they're working on is going to become the hard problem. And they can they can have a more generic solution to to handle the parts that they care a little bit less about. But what I see all the time, and and this this, it's not even just on Squarespace. I mean, it, it happens even if they choose a a platform that's more flexible, like one that you have a lot of experience with WordPress, they they want, they think that what they have is like a good fit. They see the the, the mock-ups or the marketing page or the whatever of the plugin or the service, and they're just like, oh, cool. Yeah, I can totally see how our stuff fits in that. We'll just use this out of the box. We don't really need a developer to do anything. And then they start using it and then they realize that or not realize it. And then they think like, OK, cool. But then, you know, <laughs> let's just let's just make it so that we never have a widow at the end of the line. We don't we don't have a word <laughs> right. off on its on its own. And then all of a sudden it is like 
an all out war with the <laughs> framework or, yeah. you know, plugin that they that they're using. And there's kind of like no amount of work that they can do on their own to to fix it. It's almost like, you know, I, I had a, a, a car. It was a 300 ZX and, and it's a Nissan sporty mm-hmm. car. And there are two types of of the car. There was the mine, uh, the you know the regular one, and there was a twin turbo, which was super cool. And it's the kind of thing where it's like, oh, well, you know, I'll just uh, I'll just make mine into a twin turbo. And it's like <laughs> there's no there's no amount. Like yes, it's, it sounds like a very simple difference. The car looks exactly the same, but that's not a, a simple weekend project for for a normal person to to just add a you know that and and. And that's a really great point, though, is that a lot of people who are misguided initially don't understand that you can't just move away from a platform easily. And sometimes mm-hmm. they paint themselves into a corner and they don't think long term. They're they're very narrow sighted and they think, oh, well, this is this is going to work for now. But then later on, there's just all of this debt that they need to come up, you know, fix and solve because like I just read that Wix doesn't have any way to export <laughs> <laughs> on purpose, um, yeah. Like it was, yeah. It's in. like a, yeah. yeah they lock you in on that. And profitable, yeah. So I totally on that point. Like you know, it's uh, going from your your three hundred ZX to the twin turbo. Like, well, it's possible. It's it's probably harder to do that than just buy the twin turbo. You know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like if you if you were to sell your car and buy the other one, that's going to be way less aggravating, probably less expensive than to try and pay somebody and acquire the, the, you know, the other engine and, and things like that. So, you know, one of the, one of the things that, that I wanted to get into then is, is how do you build your teams? Because you, you were talking a bit about, um, you know, specialists versus generalists. And when you are looking at uh, a developer or even a designer or somewhere in between, and you're thinking about, okay, do I want this person on my team? What what's going through your mind now, having gone, you know, having gone through uh, all of those roles in the past? Like, what do you look for? Uh, I look for somebody who is humble and hungry. Mm. I think that um, I, I I can see a lot of diamonds in the rough. Um, I've met a lot of junior. Actually, we have a really great junior developer on our team, um, Maxi, and he's 18. And he is unbelievable. I mean, he just, he's hungry. He's a sponge. He uh, communicates extremely well. Um, and he doesn't have a huge, he doesn't have an ego to, um, to not ask that question. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but he also, um, he brings up really great, great uh, issues or, or concerns or risks, uh, which I really appreciate. And it's not so much about what he knows today, even though it's a lot. Uh, it's really about um, I see helping guide him to grow and to, to to get into my head as well as we like, which is what this podcast is all about, mm-hmm. of understanding what I am needing right now. Um, I don't need to have an over-engineered proof of concept. I need to <laughs> I, I need to know that like this is possible. And yeah. uh, because I have a meeting tomorrow to talk, talk about like, what's the level of effort to actually achieve this um, without having to do the whole thing. Uh, I need to know 
how possible it is and how long it, and it's hard to, to anticipate those things if right. you, if you haven't got your feet wet in that new API or that new GraphQL, you know, um, uh, endpoint, these things are, 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 can be demystified by just playing with it for a little bit. And he's very good at that. And then reporting back, like what, what things he and concerns he might have or, or how long he thinks it's going to take, you know? Um, but, but more than anything, I think the, I, I don't like lone wolves. Um, I've worked with, developers who just don't communicate you can't get in contact with them and they you know they deliver a product at the end but then they made so many assumptions along the way without asking uh so therefore we kind of you know it's it's the whole idea of like the forest for the trees right and mm-hmm. although they chopped just down, reminds me of like you know cool you gave me wix but now there's no way to export <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah so it's like <laughs> so i think you know um we we're we're pretty loose in the way that we work. Um, you know, we we work with many projects at the same time, and we're we're constantly pushing all the projects forward. And uh, the team jumps between a lot of projects, so it's usually not this a similar um, uh, you know kind of framework that people have, where like this person's dedicated to this team because we're we're very fast paced. But uh, and so that's a value too, is that somebody who doesn't need to just sit on a project for eight hours straight uh, and, and plug through, but somebody who can be in meetings, check in, fix something else. There's a fire drilled <laughs> on a project um, and it needs to be resolved today. So being able to kind of like pick up and drop, but I know that, you know, that, that lowers efficiency over time, but a lot of times it's, it's, it's required, you know, to do, to do the job. Um, Oh, you mean you think that that specialization would be more efficient? I'm sorry, the, would the specialization be more efficient? Um, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, specialization is more efficient, I think. But at the same time, being able to also um, work on multiple projects at the same time and not just one um, one thread, mm-hmm. but be, you know, multi-threaded essentially. Uh, but But... Back to the question about how do I find a developer and how do I know? I think a lot of t- questions I ask new developers that I'm interviewing or, or even on the team is, what do they want to do? Uh, it's not, what am I going to That's a surprisingly for? hard question for a lot of people to answer. Um, I think that's, uh, yeah, that's something I run into a lot within the junior to senior community. People um, are kind of on... Un- un- clear about that so do you i imagine you do you, well I, I guess tell me do you do you find that a lot of people have trouble answering that question i, I haven't i haven't actually found that it's pretty difficult i think that there's you know at, at a certain stage uh, and i'm wondering exactly what, what stage i'm asking these people um in in their careers but uh but i don't want to um you know have a square peg in a round hole i don't want mm-hmm. to force somebody to do um pixel perfect front end engineering if they're really interested in database architecture right mm-hmm. um like that's just to me it's a disconnect and that person's not going to be happy because they might not value what they're doing they might not be able to have i, I feel like a front-end person is extremely creative and analytical and there's like such a quality that needs to come with that type of a person and then the back end uh even though they're they're creative to to an extent it's they're extremely analytical they're they're looking at pipelines and they're looking at um, systems and and it's and, and a lot of their work is extremely transparent to the client right they mm-hmm. you know I'm I'm the client because I'm the one directing the back-end engineering but the client 
doesn't usually see like they, they don't have even a concept of what a database even looks like, you know, in their right, head. Yeah, it's, it's um, the, ice, the iceberg under the water part. Yeah. And, and the front end, uh, you know, they're the ones that get the pats on the back because it shows the, you know, the pictures that they chose and the words that the copywriter wrote. And the, it's a lot more accessible there. So I think that the, um, the, 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 back, the engineers in the back end are, are a lot more humble. They don't, they don't need the pat on the back all the time, but I mean, they do. And that's, <laughs> it comes from me, not from the client. Right. The, the, uh, the client's never going to say that was a really great, um, uh, efficient database query, you know, mm-hmm. um, or I, I like your ORM here. I, I mm-hmm. think that it's, or, uh, you know, the, the tech stack you chose was really excellent. I think that they don't get that. So I think it needs to be, it needs to come from a senior person or uh, a manager if they also appreciate that and know what they're talking about, obviously. But, um, or you just but, you just you just let them uh you know make the first version extremely unoptimized <laughs> and then have the client complain about how so sluggish it is and then you have the back end team like you know <laughs> fix it. I think that's the that's that's the way that I do it. That's the way you do it. It's like the, the old the old rule of like if you're presenting a design, make sure that one thing is off so that the client can actually point it out so you can fix it really easily. Or yeah. you know, the website's really slow, and then you know, because you only gave it uh, one megabyte <laughs> of RAM, and now yeah. you just ramp it up, and, and they go, you "Wow, just, that's better! Thank you for no, doing you that." Just, yeah, you just didn't add indexes on the database, and then <laughs> lo and behold, with the indexes, uh, it works works really well. I've done that. I've done that a number of times. But yeah, that, you reminded me of the apocryphal battle chess story where the uh, the guy who designed the the queen had this animation of a duck that was like flapping around her, but he made sure that the that the pixels never overlapped so that when it went to the project manager he was like looks great just lose the duck he was able to uh just eliminate the duck uh from the frames pretty easily without oh my god that's so funny do any of that animation that's so great um but i think you know back to this whole idea of like you know junior uh developers they've gotten out of a boot camp um they 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 have a lot of ambition they they want to be part of a bigger a bigger thing and i think the hard part too is that like the senior people who've been working for a lot longer on this they've been there done that you know we started with ftp and ie 5.5 and um cross browser with netscape and such and through all of those um you know we're we're it's battle tested you know we've we've been there done that and we bring that to the table um i i find that I, I, that there's a lot of baggage with that still because my mind like, Oh, I've got, um, I've got an example of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So much baggage with that. Cause the way that I think is um, almost archaic. I mean, I've, I've taken all that and I can apply the learning, but I think the, the younger, newer developers, I'm actually um, jealous of the fact that mm-hmm. they are like pushed into all of this new technology. They don't have the baggage of worrying about all of that stuff that, that we had to deal with. Uh, so I kind of almost revel in that. But at the same time, they they might not know how to look under the hood. Um, you know, right. the idea of like every node module actually has all the code. And if you don't have to go read the documentation, you can actually just peruse the code. And that's such um, a big one. That's that's a big one that I see a lot. There's it's like that, and it's also they'll get an error message and their eyes kind of glaze over and they don't actually read what the error message is saying because there's just so much other yeah. information that they don't they don't think that it's it's buried in there like they're just they, they just can't like force themselves to read it line by line to see if something like matches what what they did similarly they won't 
open up the node modules folder and find the module that they're working in and, and see actually what's what's going on. They, they yeah. kind of instinctively just kind of think of that as like off limits or not there. But you to go back to the to the to the baggage point, it makes me think of um, sort of, I don't know, this like store story fable. I, I'm losing the the correct word, but basically, <laughs> when when uh, when an elephant is really young, you can you know chain them to a stake right. in the ground, and because they're small, they realize that they can't pull the the stake out of the ground. It's you know it's too too strong for them. But you keep doing it as they grow and they grow, and eventually they're huge, and they could even like rip like gigantic trees out of the ground but this tiny little stake that they're they're chained to they're not even going to test because their whole life they've never been able to pull it out of the ground Mm -hmm. so they don't they don't try this is often what i think about but the truth is technology changes over time and you know we learn certain i'm not going to call them necessarily bad habits but we don't test our assumptions we're we're conditioned we're conditioned to to think that that is off limits or, you know, that you can't push the boundaries with those things. Like, like the shadow Dom, right? I mean, it's like yeah. that has been there for how long, but um, now we're, we're creating web components for, and, and actually altering what the browser knows of an element. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that I was never even acknowledging that that existed. I think that, you know, that, that mystical button that you can push in, you know, Chrome web, uh, inspector that mm-hmm. shows you the shadow dom um, blew my mind. Uh, you know, <laughs> at that point when I first saw that one day, and and I think, um, but but that's you know that's the point is that like you can and and that's back way back to our conversation about pushing the envelope. I think that um, taking all of that experience and that bar that's raised and not having to worry about um, you know creating an entire framework for a grid system for, for CSS, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and now we could start working with higher level um, projects or, or implementations and requirements that, um, that do bigger and better things. And, and, you know, the big, you know, I always talk to my class about like what the future of the web would be. And mm-hmm. I kind of envision, I, I really, I really love like the no code movement and, you know, obviously it, it's, it's architected by us, but um, but it, it's helping non-technical people do technical things. Um, Bubble IO is really interesting for me right now. Um, I haven't I've played with it a little bit, uh, but like Webflow. Um, mm-hmm. Hear good and, things about Webflow. People like yeah, we yeah we've used Webflow. Um, and and uh, the hard part for me is that I I I want more control. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. So it's it's like this uh, this battle between like having to do something in the UI, but also being able to write it in SAS a lot faster in my mind, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, but but there's you know there's limitations and there's pros and cons to a lot of these things. But I think you know I envision kind of like a a, a PDF that's responsive. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. vector, it's dynamic. Um, you can create these web pages um, extremely easy, but it also they don't have you're not locked into all the limitations that you would have with like this, these builders. Um, Cause I definitely think that the democratization of building these, even if I, I have a client that comes in and says, Hey, I have no budget, um, but I need a simple site. And I tell them, Hey, use Squarespace. And they're like, well, right. can I pay, can I pay you to build it in Squarespace, <laughs> which is uh, counterintuitive in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's it, um, even though we have these, 
these uh, tools built out for uh, the the lay person. It makes um, it easier. It makes it easier, but then it's uh, you know, or I build these complicated, huge CMSs in in WordPress or or any other um, uh, content contentful or you know these type of mm-hmm. things, and and then ultimately the client wants us to continue managing it. So we right. we built a CMS so that we can manage the CMS as opposed. You know, so that happens <laughs> a lot too. Is that like yeah. yeah, you have these robust systems in place, but then ultimately you end up with a um, a developer still doing that. And I, uh, you know, there's always the cat, the gotchas when you have the CMSs that somebody needs to come and look at the fact that you copied and pasted from a word document. You've got all this like hmm. errant, errant uh, markup for some reason. And, um, and you have to look at the code and because you know how to read it. And, um, and that's back to the point of like the, the bootcamp um, graduates who um, they're using this, but they don't quite understand all of it. And, mm-hmm. and I, I just urge them to, um, to figure out what's under the hood. Why does that work that way? Um, don't just do that tutorial, but go investigate, you know, don't just copy and paste an NPM install mm-hmm. and just say, oh, that's magic, that's great. No, go go read the code and go read the documentation on that and what that's for. And and because that tutorial is gonna, it's the tip of the iceberg too. You know, it's, it's doing one thing, but lear- learning more of what, you know, Lodash does and all of the, right all of the methods that you could use for this powerful library. Um, and at the same time, don't use an NPM module when you can actually just write the code yourself. Um, you have yeah. the overhead of something that was created by somebody else that might be too robust or too heavy for what you actually need it for. Yeah, just too much surface area, does too many things, um, can can get you into trouble is, is definitely something I see. I see a lot. Um, so I guess the, sort of the last question is, you know, for if you see a developer on one of these teams and, um, you know, they're working with like, do you, do you sometimes see like a like like it difficult for for a junior engineer to know when or how to communicate what's possible or what, you know, should be done to, you know, non-technical people on their team? Like how how would you recommend you know a junior think about teamwork with non technical people? I feel that these developers should not try to talk over anybody's head. I feel like mm-hmm. if you are using acronyms, if you're using big words, if you're using libraries and frameworks and tech speak, the the non tech persons just going to glaze over and <laughs> um and and I don't know if it's a power trip or or you don't have the ability to um use layperson terms but I think that's I I have the ability to speak in layperson's terms but then turn around and speak uh in you know in GraphQL to another team member um immediately you know I think that's communication and knowing who your audience is mm-hmm. is so important for a junior uh, engineer to be um, to understand that you're not talking to another tech person and uh, identify that quickly. Uh, so I always try to, in my past, is to understand what the other person's uh, experience is. Kind of like that, you know, when you have to file a, a support ticket and they ask mm-hmm. you on that drop-down menu, I have no idea what I'm doing, or um, <laughs> I have enough experience to understand why it's broken, or I can probably fix this myself. You know that mm-hmm. that drop-down. Yeah. 
And I think um, if you can analyze and anticipate how to use uh, language to communicate the problems, um, that's just so valuable because when you empower, you, you end up empowering that other team member to, to speak back to you in their own layman's terms to help guide. So you need this bi-directional communication. Uh, mm -hmm. And if you are, 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 are talking over somebody in terms of tech speak, you're not sounding smart. You're actually sounding yeah. like you're, you're missing the opportunity here completely. Yeah, you're going to sound out of touch. I think for me, one of the, the most important tools or, or skills I think I'd recommend for this is is metaphor. Like the the more you are able mm -hmm. to to not try and and I understand the temptation. Like you always want to be precise when you're talking. You don't want to be wrong. So you always want to use the correct, you know, technical terminology and explain what's happening. But um, you know, that's not the point of communication. The point of communication isn't isn't necessarily to speak uh, eloquently and correctly. It's it's for the other person to understand what it is you're talking about. And sometimes they're, you know, or often they're not going to really have that background to hear what you're saying. And so you can do a lot of good by converting, you know, the system that you have in your head to even though it's not going to be precise and even though it's, it's not going to be 100% correct the same way. But if you can liken it to a real world, um, you know, metaphor or example, you know, even if it's just like, okay, so, you know, in this case, it's kind of like a library and we're trying to find the book. And, and, you know, so we have mm -hmm. to come up with a way of doing the library cards. And originally we were doing it this way alphabetically, but we kept running into a problem because our users kept wanting to find it by genre. So now we have to redo all of the cards. It's going to take a long time. That's going to be so much more effective than trying to explain like why you're redoing the MySQL indexes and you know you're switching from InnoDB to this other you know whatever they don't care, um, but if you give it a like real world example that they can they visualize and empathize with like that's usually much more effective. But also on that analogy or metaphor, um, identifying how much level of effort it's going to take for another team to actually achieve that design or that mm -hmm. experience, right? So like you mentioned, the new genres, who has the genre list? Um, and does it exist? And who needs to create it? And how long do you anticipate that taking? Because that's going to, you know, if you bring that up in two months after you've recalibrated the system to look <laughs> at genres and you say, okay, well, where's the genre list? And they go, Oh, I didn't know that we needed to actually create it. <laughs> we thought that it was going to be, you know, a miracle yeah. that, uh, yeah. that that just all of these database entries now are completely aligned with the genre. And <laughs> so it's like I call that homework. You know, that's another mm -hmm. team's homework that needs to be done. But also yeah. helping support them um, and and letting like identifying the easiest way for that other team to get you what you need. And maybe if that's creating a Google doc or a Google uh, sheet that has columns for database entries and a new column for the genre that they need yeah. to fill yeah. in, you know, um, so that they're not having to do manual labor. Like you've got, you've got a hundred thousand entries. Um, are we doing this manually entering because you created an interface to enter it manually or can we, can we import it somehow? Or can we, can we figure out a way to make the other team have less work to actually achieve this result? Because it's it's not just your work, it's other people need to do stuff too. So, but 
as I mentioned, it's like trying to solve and create solutions that aren't even part of the end result, but it's like getting data into your system in a in the most efficient manner, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a hundred percent. Tom, this has been great. Where can people find out more about you online? Uh, well, you can go to clay.co, K-L-E-Y.co, and you can find out more about what we do. Um, continually trying to update our case studies and portfolio. Um, but uh, we are a, a, a boutique agency here in LA. We do everything from brand strategy to UX and uh, and design of print and web and brand identity to development. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining me today. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me, David. Have a great rest of your day. Yeah, you too. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me again next time for Junior to Senior.